Welcome to the Divorce Recovery Men Over 40 podcast that empowers men with the tools that foster hope, resilience, and growth during and after a divorce. Check it out. Welcome, everybody, out there to Divorce Recovery Men Over 40 podcast. We have Luke Schillings on the mic from uh, England. Yeah, so I'm in Lincoln, which is sort of East Midlands, about middle of the country to the right-hand side for those not familiar with the exact geography. Okay. He's the host of the After the Affair podcast. I'd like Luke to go into how he came up with that and why and all that good stuff. And i got a couple of questions for him. Let's go ahead and get into that. Luke, go ahead and take it. Yeah, sure. So, well, first of all, thank you ever so much for having me, David. It's uh, really appreciated. Uh, yes, yeah, so my name is Luke Schillings, uh, and as you've already suggested, I am the host of the After the Affair podcast. I'm a relationship and infidelity recovery coach. And as you mentioned before we started recording, it's uh, not the most common of job titles, if you like. <laughs> it's <laughs> quite no unique and quite, and quite specific um, area that I work in. I work predominantly with those who have been betrayed after betrayal, um, although I do have clients that have been unfaithful as well. So it's a bit of a mix, but ultimately helping people heal and recover from infidelity. The reason, or at least my main reason, was because it was something I experienced myself. I was on the receiving end, for want of a better word, of betrayal in my marriage. I've been married for eight years. We had two children, we still have two children, um, you know, as, as far as I was concerned, happily married. And certainly I loved that role and identity of being a father and a family man and a husband and all of the things that go with that. And yeah, it ended up a, a, what was, I suppose, a friendship gradually formed into something slightly more between my wife and, and another person. And eventually that led to us separating and divorcing and figuring all the stuff out, you know, as you do uh, as, you, as I headed into my 40s in a way that I hadn't expected, ended up moving back home and living with my mum for a bit. And then, you know, it's, uh, uh, you don't you don't plan these things. I thought I knew what the next five or 10 years looked like. And all of a sudden, I felt like I didn't even know what tomorrow looked like. So having gone through that process, trying to figure out the healing journey on my own through a combination of methods and techniques and friends and Google and YouTube and podcasts and all of the things, um, I, I figured out a, what I believe to be a fairly effective method and then decided that coaching was something that I had felt drawn to. I'd always been interested in human psychology and why people do the things they do. Mm-hmm. It's not really my background in a professional sense, um, or hadn't been my background in a professional sense, but decided that this was definitely a path that I wanted to follow. So took a year-long certification to become a coach and then specialised specifically in betrayal and infidelity. And that's what I've been doing for the last few years, and uh, I love every minute of it. So do you deal with couples? Do you deal with... Um uh, like while they have infidelity or do you deal with singles or after divorce, so I, prior divorce, yeah, things like that? Sure. Yeah. So um, I predominantly work one-to-one. Um, I have occasionally worked with couples, but not together. Okay. So we have 
I work with the husband or I work with the wife and then one or the other, you know, and sometimes not overlapping. Uh, so no, I wouldn't define myself as a, a couples therapist. That's not really the purpose. My main goal is to work with the individual to help them move forward regardless of what sets of circumstances they've been dealt with. In terms of what position they are within their life or, and or relationship, that varies significantly. So I have everything from people who discovered the affair six hours ago by reading a message on their partner's phone to those who it was an affair that maybe happened 30 years ago and they just buried it away and never really dealt with it and then mm -hmm. something has come up and brought it back to the forefront. And everything in between. So some people stay, some people leave. And it's really about helping people make those decisions with intention and, and, and moving forward. In a way, they feel like they've got control because obviously when we've been betrayed, it feels like all that control has been taken away. It feels like we've lost all of the power. So helping to redefine that in a way that perhaps we hadn't considered before because a lot of us tend to go through life believing that it's all about controlling the other person, making the mm -hmm. other person do Correct. the thing that we want. And the problem is that's kind of a futile exercise because people get to do what the hell they like and they usually do yep. and but that includes us of course yep. you know we also get to do what on earth we like as well so it's kind of a just that recognition that we can't always have it both ways and how do we move forward from that good so what is infidelity recovery what would you explain it as you know like the okay, stages so yeah sure so i mean there are various stages I mean, ultimately, it's all about betrayal. So betrayal is that, that, that breach of trust, which is some defined or undefined contract that you have between you and your partner. It's kind of one person's expectation or one person's belief that somebody's going to act or behave in a way that we anticipated. And if they fail to act in that way that we anticipated, then that, that forms that, that break of the contract, that, that break in trust. And that's when we feel betrayed. Almost like an expectation. Oh, it's very much like an expectation. Yeah. Okay. We often have this, because I mean, we, we, trust is not some solid thing that we can get hold of. It's not like a physical item that we can exchange between each, between each other. It's just our interpretation, our expectation of how another person is going to behave Whoa. or another thing. It's not even just another person. It can be another thing in the same way that we could have a belief that we could go and get in our car every day and it's going to start. And if we believe that so, so true, like so, you know, solidly that we could never consider the possibility that one day we might get in the car and it doesn't start, then that's going to be a bit of a shock to us. So it breaks that belief, that expectation of that thing. And the same thing is true within our relationships. Now, where it becomes much blurred, much more blurred, much more complicated is a lot of these conversations aren't had within relationships. There are lots of things that are taken for granted. But it's very likely that two people will have different ideas about what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. I mean, what even is betrayal? Like, what is infidelity? What is cheating? Is it uh, an appropriate look across the bar? Is it a message that's got a single kiss on the end? Is it a kiss after a drunken night out? Is it sex? You know, like, where exactly is the line? Mm -hmm. And everybody's line is going to be somewhat different. So even just getting clear on that and having those communication between two people is very important. But in coming, coming back to answering the original question, 
initially we've got shock. Shock is the thing. It's, a, it's, it's like having the rug pulled from underneath your feet and it can be an absolute whirlwind and it can really dysregulate you emotionally and you don't feel, you feel like you don't know what's happening from day to day. It's very, very frightening. You feel complete mm-hmm. loss of control. Correct. You don't sleep properly. You don't eat properly and all kinds of things. And there's this, this, the, the want for it to just go away and the want for it to just to turn back time is, is really, really intense. And then that moves into a stage that's where we begin to, okay, start to grieve. We're starting to grieve, not necessarily, it might not be the loss of the relationship because the relationship might be continuing, but it might be certainly in my case with this loss of identity. It's like I consider myself the father, the family man, the husband, all of these things. And that had, I had meaning. I had meaning that it meant something to me mm-hmm. and having like, feeling like that didn't exist anymore i felt like i'd completely lost control and i started to grieve the loss of that and then we start to move through a stage of acceptance where we're starting to really sort of take grasp of the facts of the situation you know this is what i've got to deal with and this is what i can control and this is what i not can control and then we really start to move towards that growth stage now of course this can be categorized in many different ways but that tends to be that like shock recognition, acceptance, and then making the decision to actively move okay. forward. But people often get stuck before that last stage and can end up stuck in a cycle for, well, almost indefinitely in some cases. Wow. So in one of my podcasts, uh, the Divorce Double podcast, we talk about self-love. And I've, in one of your readings, I've you, you talk about self-love. How does self-love play into the part of healing for infidelity um, recovery? Yeah, well, it, it, it plays a pretty important part. So if we think about what a betrayal might mean to us or what we think betrayal means, it's like, does it mean that we're not good enough? Does it mean that we could have done something different? Is there something about the, the affair partner, the person who your, your partner's having an affair with? Is there something that they've got that you don't? Do we start judging? Could I, buy, could I be thinner? Could I be fitter? Could I be, um, you know, more intelligent? Could I be more interesting? Am I, you know, whatever. All these, these judgments start to come in like you, you've not really, you're not like you're not good enough. You can very easily reflect back that way. So immediately, because you've got that lack of control, or it feels like you've got that lack of control, mm-hmm. you're wanting to try and grasp at anything that can try and reestablish that in some way. Even if it means doing something that's actually not directly in alignment with your own values, you're really doing it in an attempt to try and persuade, manipulate even. You know, that seems like a, quite a jarring word, but like it's like we're trying to be something that we're not in the hope that mm-hmm. our partner will see us in a different light. Now, when it comes to something like self-love, it's like, well, we can... We think of self-love, we think of lovability. And I think it's easy for us to to believe that how lovable we are depends on how good we are. Like like what thing what attributes we have, what qualifications we've got, what skills or knowledge or how caring or kind and all these things. But actually that's probably not really true. Lovability, well, we're all a hundred percent lovable. And really, it comes down to the other person's capacity to see that, the other person's capacity to give and receive love mm-hmm. themselves. Your lovability is always 100%. Because if it really was down to how lovable you are, then 
everybody in the world would feel exactly the same way about you. And of course they don't. Everybody sees you differently. Everybody perceives you differently. You might have someone that you're very close to, that you've got a really good relationship with, you get on really well, you know, really connect with. But does everybody in the world, does everybody that's ever met them feel exactly the same way that you do about them? Probably not. Why is that? Well, it's not because of them. It's because of the person external. It's because of you in this case. So we're making a judgment. We're having, we've got a relationship with that person and that's within their control, not yours. So when we think about self-love, mm-hmm. it's having that belief that you don't need the external. You don't need other people, other people's validation or, or confirmation that you are lovable. And I think when we haven't got self-love, we are completely dependent on the other person to try and make us feel worthy, to make us feel love. So working on self-love when it comes to the journey of betrayal is absolutely essential. That self-love, self-worth, and probably most importantly, actually, is self-trust. Because really, that's what it's all about. You know, we've just been betrayed. And, mm-hmm. and, and when trust is broken, initially, we think about the other person Uh, they've broken our trust, but actually we then start to question ourselves, well, how can I trust my own judgment? You know, I thought this person was the one for me. I trusted this person completely, and now they've broken it. So how can I even trust myself to make a judgment about another person going forward? So really building on that self-trust, that self-confidence, that self-love, they all kind of go into the same pot and absolutely essential for healing, yeah. Wow. So when you have a guy over 40 getting divorced and he's been cheated on, it's almost like a double whammy. So do you heal it separately or do you heal it together? In terms of the betray, being betrayed by somebody else and yeah. that sort of self-betrayal. That yeah, it's, and it's, the divorce, yeah. And the divorce, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it really depends on the individual circumstances of any individual. Everybody's story is unique. Mm-hmm. Every situation is unique. And although there obviously are common similarities, that, that each, each, each situation is completely, uh, yeah, specific to that person. So in both cases, we get very clear on what we can control versus what we can't control. So let's get very clear on the facts. When we think about something like a divorce or we feel like our partner wants to divorce us, we give that a lot of meaning. You know, we start to tell those stories to ourselves about us not being good enough. What does that mean? What could I have done better? How did I miss the signs? And this long list. But this is all just stories, just as trying to make sense of the world. And that's a very natural mm-hmm. thing to do. The problem is a lot of those stories we tell ourselves are often not very empowering. They're usually quite disempowering and leave us in a place where we then feel victim to the situation and therefore cannot move forward. So when we actually simplify it down, we strip all of the emotion away and we just focus on what are the clear facts. Well, okay, I am now currently going through the process of divorce or my partner has been unfaithful. And you could define this very clearly without attaching any emotion to it. Just recognizing those those facts for what they are and the first thing we notice is actually there's very few facts. There's actually very little. The vast majority that's going on in your head is just your creation, your story, everything, the, me- the meaning that you're giving to it. Now, when I say pop the emotions to one side, I don't mean we don't pay attention to the emotions. 
emotions essentially are from neck down, if you like. It's like our entire body is full of emotion. So we can't pretend that doesn't exist. If anything, we actually probably need to deal with that to an extent first so that we can then move forward logically and start the actual healing process on a practical sense. Mm-hmm. But at least having that clarity of the things that we can control versus the things that we can't control, then we can start to pay attention to the the felt sense, if you like, the actual emotional experience that we're trying to get away from. And for guys in particular, many of us have been brought up in a, a society where, you know, big boys don't cry and man up and all of this really unhelpful <laughs> language, you know. Um, and, you know, we don't talk about our emotions because it sounds soppy and yep. it sounds like something that only girls do. And don't be a punk. Yeah, yeah, all of these things. And, you know, okay, I'm not saying that you go down to the local bar and all have a good cry with your mates. That's not quite what I mean. But our emotions drive every single thing we do. If you have a task to complete and you're feeling driven and excited and motivated, then how are you going to show up? Well, you're going to pull yourself together. You're going to be focused on the job. You're going to work really hard. You're going to get it done. You're going to feel great afterwards. You know, it's really creative. Whereas if you turned up to that same task and felt depressed and down, fed up and disinterested and all of, you know, a much more negative type of, or like low in, low in self-worth, then how are you going to show up? Well, you're probably going to look at it for a little bit, procrastinate quickly before long you're scrolling on your phone trying to distract yourself. Or maybe you think, actually, I'm just going to go down the pub or I'm going to, you know, go and do something else. Or I'm going to, and you end up not achieving the thing or at mm-hmm. least nowhere near to the same ability. So how we're feeling really is the fuel for how we then show up. So if we can choose how we want to feel for a specific event, specific mm-hmm. task, it makes all the difference to how we then work through that. And the final link in that key is the recognition that it is our thinking that creates our feelings. It's our thoughts that create the feelings, not the other way around, even though that is sometimes how it seems. So what happens, infidelity, let's say, you know, we could could put infidelity as the thing that's happened or betrayal as the thing that's happened or divorce as the thing that's happened. And we can give it all the meaning in the world. And we can believe that the divorce is making us feel sad and hurt and depressed and betrayed and unloved and all manner of emotions, you know, all manner of things. We believe there's like a direct link between those two things. But actually, there's a missing bit in the middle. And that's the way that we're interpreting it. A good example is, you know, we assume that everybody thinks the same way. I think I've sort of touched on this a little bit before. We assume that other people see things the same way mm-hmm. that, that we do. So, for example, we might, it would be, it would seem like a pretty reasonable statement for me to say that 9-11 was one of the worst events in recent history. And there's a good probability that a lot of people would agree with that. But is it a fact? Well, no. And it's not because not everybody would agree. The people on that plane doing the act, the people back in, in you know, in um, the Taliban, mm-hmm. you know, it was probably quite a successful day for them. They probably felt quite good about it. Like they were completing, they felt fulfilled. They, would, they were doing what they wanted. So to define it as 
worst day in recent history or one of the worst day in recent histories isn't actually true. That's just our interpretation of it. Now, I'm not saying it's a wrong, I'm not, there's not, I'm not, this is not a judging whether it's a right or wrong interpretation. We're just highlighting the fact that depending on your viewpoint, depending on how you interpret it, completely changes how you feel. If you think it's one of the worst days in recent history, you're going to feel that. and It's going to feel sad and awful and terrible in the same way that divorce might. But if you are, for example, on the other side of the coin and you're looking at it from a different perspective, you know, for some people, divorce might be very freeing. They might have felt trapped in the marriage. They might have felt like they've been acting all their lives and people-pleasing. And divorce could be like a second chance at life. So there's lots of different ways of looking at the same thing. So how we think about something really defines how we feel. And how we feel defines what we then do. So the, And that ultimately create what we need. So the interpretation is the missing piece in the middle. Exactly. Okay. Exactly that. Okay. Yeah. My other question is, what is a self-coaching model? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, the self-coach. Yeah. So the self-coaching model. I've loosely been talking about it in the way that I've just been describing this okay. situation. So it's not something that I created. It was created by actually one of my mentors, a lady called Brooke Castillo. It's a framework in which we can look at all problems in the world. So we can split things into any any one of five categories. So we have circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions, and results. So let's look at the example that I was just talking about. And we could put the circumstances, something that happens in the world. It's an mm -hmm. event. It's maybe something that someone has said, something that somebody has done. Maybe it's the temperature outside. Maybe it's the, you know, we could agree that there's carpet on the floor in my room. You know, there's, there's certain things that we could all agree on. Like it's like it's true. It would be true in a court of law. There's no subjectivity. There's no interpretation. We're not trying to give it our own individual meaning. We're just accepting and agreeing that that is fact. So divorce is in fact a circumstance. It's a word that exists in the dictionary and it has the meaning. You know, it is it's the, the separation of the matrimonial agreement between two people, something to that effect. So it's something we can define. Then we have the thought. Well, a thought is, I think of a thought as being like a sentence in our mind. It's the way that we interpret the circumstance. So for many people, obviously, we put divorce in the, the circumstance line. And the thought is, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. This is terrible. This is a disaster. I'm not good enough. I've failed to live up to my own expectations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's many different thoughts that we're likely to have. But each one of those thoughts is going to create a particular emotion, which is what brings us down to the next line, the feeling line. So our thoughts create our feeling. If we're thinking this, this is the terriblest thing ever, then we're probably not going to feel too great. We're going to feel sad, upset, hurt, betrayed, disappointed, angry, frustrated, you know, all of the things. And so that then creates and fills out the feeling line. Then, as I mentioned before, our feelings drive our actions. So the actions is the next line. So actions are the things that we do, the things that we don't do, and the things that the way in which we react to things. So again, a bit like the example I gave before, if you're feeling good, you get very involved, you show up, you're interested, you're focused versus mm -hmm. being, you know, so it completely changes how you show up. And then the result, which is the final line of the model, is ultimately the thing that you get 
It's like, it's like, how does, how do that, what happens when you complete those actions? So if you're feeling motivated and driven, you have a completed project that you are working on. And if you're feeling, you know, disinterested and fed up and whatever, then you don't have it. So your result is very different. And it's all been because of how you were thinking, because that thinking was creating the feeling. The feeling was driving the action. The action produces the result. Okay. Now, where the power of the model is, is the thought line. The thought line is always optional. So we can leave divorce in the circumstance line. That's still the same thing. But we could think something very different. So like I suggested earlier, some people could think divorce is the worst thing that ever. What does that mean about me? Somebody else might think freedom. And it could be a, like a, a chain's been released, like a you know, some people could view it that way. Or you might just think that actually divorce, although it's not what I wanted, doesn't define me. Because sometimes people do carry that label. You know, they think that divorce is like a stamp on them. Like it's like we've been, we've been branded like cattle almost. I'm now divorced. And therefore, what does that mean about me for the rest of my life? Whereas like actually you could say, well, actually, I, yes, I am divorced, but I've learned an awful lot and I've built up resilience. And although it's not, wasn't my original plan, I'm okay with it and I accept it. And if you're coming from that place, then the feeling changes and it gets a little bit better. And of course, if you're feeling a bit better, guess what? Your actions change as well because it's your feelings driving your actions. And if you're doing more intentional actions and you're doing things that are going to, for example, move things forward, try and rebuild communication with your partner or your ex-partner or the family or your kids or whatever it is, or even just, it's, let's say, for example, you've got divorced, you've both got children, mm -hmm. and you're wanting to maintain an amicable relationship between the two parents, which is often something that lots of people struggle with. If you can get in a place where you can communicate at least effectively, doesn't mean you have to be best friends, it doesn't mean you have to see each other all the time, but there doesn't have to be the anger and the hate and all of that bitterness. That doesn't need to exist. Because just imagine how that would affect the children. How, just imagine how that affects you. If you're living in a place of resentment and bitterness yep. all the time, then that's going to really affect how you show up every day. Whereas if you're in a place of acceptance, content, understanding, maybe even compassion, maybe you could even, if we really pushed it, we could go to unconditional love. It doesn't mean that we have to forget what happened, but by releasing that a little bit can help us move forward and stop keeping us stuck in that moment. So, in summary, the self-coaching model is like a, it's a bit like taking a snapshot of a moment in time and being able to say, okay, this is what I'm currently feeling. Why? Okay, well, I'm feeling this way because I'm clearly thinking that this thing that's happened is terrible or, mm -hmm. or whatever. And the problem is when I'm feeling that way, I'm then not really showing up how I want to show up. And then the results that I'm getting are being affected as well. So what, what can I do about that? And that's where we explore. So a lot of the coaching that I do really works around that bit that we can control. And that bit we can control is the thinking because it's always optional. It's almost like um, the concept, and I've heard where where people take a negative and kind of spin it into a positive. So, 100%. so everything from the top is uh, – everything from the bottom is controlled from the top. Exactly, it's exactly that, exactly that. So, for example – People are sometimes surprised to hear me say, I've said it on my podcast before, I've said it in, in interviews like this before, but actually my wife having the first, probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, which is something I would never have imagined 
even thinking, let alone saying out loud. But the pain, which was very real, and the 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 journey and everything. Although I wouldn't have actively chosen it, it's like it's not. This is not a path I would have chosen in that sense. What I've noticed throughout my life, and I've had met various setbacks in my life, both in business and personal and health, and a combination of things, that usually every time there's a, an impact, some something that was unexpected and undesirable, I've been able to look at that in a way and use it as the catalyst to grow and the catalyst to change. And the, Because sometimes we just plod along, life just goes along becomes mundane. We don't mm-hmm. really think about it. We haven't got clear goals. It's amazing how many people are say, okay, so what, what goals have you got? And they're like, goals? What do you mean? <laughs> you, know? you know, it's like, it's like well, you know, I mean, we're only here for what, 80 years-ish? Yeah. You Get know, on it's it. like, Get on it. What do you want to, yeah, what do you, what, do you, what, what do you want from life, you know? And particularly, I think, we get to this age of like in our early 40s and it was different in our 20s, you know, you meet a partner, you buy a house, you have kids, you're focusing on your career, you're doing all these things. And then the kids start to grow up and then they start to fly the nest. And then you realize that you and your partner, well, like you haven't really spoken to each other. Like you, you have, like, but only in a very functional way. Yeah. It's like oh, every conversation is about, working, you know, organizing. Yeah. yeah. And the kids. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so, so what next? You know, and it's, it'd be quite a scary place to be, but it can also be a really empowering place to be. So I felt that that initial feeling of not knowing what tomorrow looked like was terrifying. But then I started to reframe that and think, well, actually, no, this is now an opportunity. I now have a blank canvas and I get to go in any direction I want. I get to explore and play and, you know, and really push myself in directions that I hadn't considered before. Actually, some things that arguably being in a relationship restrained me from doing, you know, or made it more difficult. It gave me a new opportunity. Okay, yes, I would still have liked to have remained in the marriage originally. Like, I loved being married. That really Mm -hmm. was something that I really valued. But some things you can't control, but you can control how you deal with it. Wow. So my main question though is, so someone goes through your coaching program and they want to start dating. What's your suggestions for that? Because you've been cheated on. Self-esteem is probably tanked. How do you get back on the horse? Okay. Yeah. So I think there's two, two areas to focus on. One is the the self-trust that we spoke about briefly Mm -hmm. earlier. And then the other is around boundaries in terms of what is acceptable for you, what you feel comfortable with. And they are ever evolving. Right? Just because you set a boundary today doesn't mean that you then have to commit to that for the rest of your life. You can always change it in the future as you feel more and more comfortable. So if we think about the self-trust first, like I say, trust is still that basic idea of the, the, the belief that someone or something will act in a way that you anticipated. Mm-hmm. But that goes for yourself too. You know, you're wanting to trust yourself. Now, I think where people often fall short is when we think about trust, we close the door to the possibility that we might be wrong. And that's where it becomes quite dangerous. It comes back to that expectation. If you don't consider the possibility that you might be wrong, no matter what you trust in, then you 
uh, opening yourself up for a really challenging emotional time should that thing not happen the way that you expected. And this comes down to basic expectations. It doesn't matter where our expectations are. If we fall short of them, it's a problem. So, for example, you could have some goal in your mind of achieving, let's say you were, I don't know, um, I'm, I'm a runner. So if I was trying to get my, go and do a 10K race and I was wanting to get under a certain time and I've got, I've been training for it and I'm like, like focused on it and I'm pivoting absolutely everything on it and all the, I followed the training plan perfectly. I've been eating properly. I've been doing all the right physio. I've been warming up. I've been cooling down. I've been stretching. I've been like doing all of the things like, so on paper, there's like no reason why I shouldn't be able to achieve that thing. And I'm so, so driven by that to the point that when I turn up on the start line that day, it's almost a foregone conclusion. It's like I've, I can't, I haven't even considered not achieving it. <laughs> but because I've done everything. But, but life, <laughs> you know, you roll your ankle halfway through the race, or maybe there's a really, really bad headwind in one direction that you hadn't anticipated. Maybe there's a big crowd of people to begin with and it takes you ages to get going. So then you accidentally, so you then run extra fast to try and make up for it. And then that tires you out and you lose your pace. And there are an infinite number of potential things, or you might just not be feeling quite a hundred percent on that day, but because you haven't, because you hadn't anticipated the possibility that you might not achieve what you're expecting, then guess what? You're going to be pretty disappointed. And it's probably going to hit you really hard. So I think we think about this sometimes. If if you've ever met somebody who is so convinced about something in their particular ideas, ideology, belief, whatever it is, that they cannot even remotely consider the possibility that they might be wrong, and would you trust them? Mm, interesting. I would argue no. Because we can always be wrong. Correct. The reason we can always be wrong is because we cannot possibly know what we do not know. It's impossible. You know, there's an infinite number of bits of information that exist out in the world. There's an infinite number of potential life experiences. Everybody's is going to be completely different. I can't possibly know what you know, David, and you can't possibly know what I know. Yes, there'll be some things that we share. There'll be some common interests. There'll be some bits of information that we both know. But there'll be infinite numbers of things that we both don't know about each other. And that's the same. And if, if that's true just between two people, just about mm-hmm. you expand that across 8 billion people on the planet, and all of a sudden you realize you don't know very much at all. You know, so it's like it's have, it's almost that, that, that integrity and that, that realization that you cannot know what you do not know. And therefore, there's always a possibility you might be wrong. Now, if you can get really good at being okay with the possibility that you might be wrong, you can get really good at the possibility that the thing that you trust in might not always play out the way that you expect, even though you still hope it will. I mean, mm-hmm. you still want it to. I'm not saying that we just like dismiss everything, but just knowing that it's a possibility completely changes our overall perspective on how we deal with it should it happen. Whereas, because it removes the possibility of that turn blindside. Mm-hmm. If we know there's always a possibility where we could be in a situation that we didn't expect, 
then we can prepare for the fact that we could deal with a situation that we didn't expect, even though we don't know the exact details of that situation. I, so I do preach. I'm sorry. I do yeah, preach I uh, realistic expectations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that really helps I mean, realistic, Yeah, I mean, realistic expectations, is, is it's a funny one, isn't it? Because, again, that's subjective. Yep. And I think there's... Sometimes, because again, it can work both ways. Sometimes we can apply that idea of realistic expectation, but actually we can also, we can actually um, dampen ourselves down as a result of that yeah. and maybe not take risks. Because when, so that's, that, that's the point. It's like, okay, well, like, let's say I'm going to live purely by that idea of realistic expectation. Well, for it to be realistic, I'm going to have to play safe, which means I might not take risks, which also means I might not, open myself up to opportunities that I otherwise would have done should yeah. I have taken that risk. So actually, it's as, it, just as important, if not more important, to say that I'm prepared to take risks, even if it falls outside of um, realism, mm -hmm. let's say, or our realistic expectations, even if it falls above those, I'm prepared to take it and I'm prepared to fail and I'm prepared for the emotional discomfort that it brings because it's worth it because if it does work it could be mega and we see this in all areas of life you see it investing investing mm -hmm. maybe you you know you see it in you know even even down to things like playing the lottery it's like not that i'm an advocate for that but it's if you're not in it you cannot yep do it that's first of all and you might put you know a hundred dollars on bitcoin and it may still be worth $100 in 10 years. It may be worth $20. It may be worth 10 million. But again, it's that like, what are you prepared to risk for the possibility that something could grow? So when we think about going into a new relationship, if we live off that belief about betrayal and that fear of being hurt again, then what are we going to do? We're not going to go into a new relationship. We're going to hold everyone at arm's length. We're never going to form proper connections. Mm -hmm. So instead, we're going to accept that there's a possibility that we could get hurt again. But that's worth it because the pleasure that being in a relationship has is absolutely worth it. The, the connection between two human beings is so strong and so powerful that, well, for me, certainly, that's a cost I'm prepared to, to risk. Gotcha. Well, Luke, you, <laughs> this is my 11th podcast. On this show, and you've made me think, um, what were we talking about before? I'm going to look that up for sure. Uh, the self-coaching model, that was mm -hmm. awesome. There's some things I want to apply to that and uh, go from there. But thank you for your time. You okay. have been, uh, you've dropped some knowledge for me. I really appreciate it. And I hope my listeners have listened to it. And uh, we're going to put your contact information down at the bottom. So your podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the affair. Okay. Podcast. And how long have you been doing that? And how many episodes do you have? Uh, so um, episode sixty-eight. Okay. How did you come about that? What was your? Right, so I'd always wanted to do a podcast, okay. but I never really knew what it was I wanted to do it about. And then, of course, as my life changed and my situation changed, and then I changed my career, if you like, mm -hmm. and realized who I wanted to help. And I think specifically because of the topic that I'm talking about. You know, if I go to a networking meeting or stand in front of a group of people and stick my hand up and say, this is what I do and this is who I am, most of the people feel a bit awkward and tend to look away. It's like, probably don't want to be seen talking to Luke because <laughs> yeah, what are other people going to think? think? 
Yeah, so, so a podcast is kind of the perfect platform in a lot of ways because, you know, I can be in your ear talking away, helping you see things in a way that you probably haven't perspective, haven't expected. You, I'm able to obviously be relatable because I have that story myself, mm-hmm. which is very true, and I went through that journey, and now I help lots of other people do the same. And it can be done whilst you are at the gym, walking the dog, trying yeah. to work in a way that's not intrusive and, you know, because it's a very frightening and private and, and, and scary time. And it's not unusual for me to be the first person that someone has spoken to or shared their story with when they jump on a discovery call with me. All right. All right, Luke. I appreciate your time. That was way different than I thought. Way <laughs> different than I thought. And I've said that more than once uh, talking to people on podcasts because you were going with expectations and you come out something totally different. But I appreciate your time and and we're going to close off here and uh, everybody have a good night. All right. Bye bye.